When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas. We got Chris here, and Uriah's back after being uh, absent last week. You guys enjoy that snow that we got earlier this morning? Well, it wasn't really this morning for me. Um, of course, I'm down in Georgia, so I'm not I'm not really in the Philly area. But we, we got a bunch of slush last night, but it never got below freezing. So it was mostly just kind of some liquid ice stuff. But it, it's pretty much gone now. Hey, it's still, I think it just stopped, but it snowed for hours this morning. And my back is still hurting from just looking at the snow and anticipating the shoveling. <laughs> I actually wiped out playing with my daughter in the snow slash lust this morning. She was running and I was trying to run after her downhill and I totally, uh, my knee uh, just didn't want to stay up. So I slid on my shin. So that was fun. You feeling all right though? Did you break anything? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not that old. So real quick, Lucas, man, I'm kind of taking a shot. Are you, when are you gonna get your first victory in the in the fantasy league, man? What's what's going man, on over there? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what's going oh, on, gosh. man? Is it injuries? Is, is that like what it worst. is? COVID? I swear, you can ask Chris. Like every year that we've done this, I'm usually like near the top or at the top of the league. This year, I just did not. I guess I didn't draft well, but I need to make sure I the, get my the big man. Word score. there is that he's been near the top. Not at the top. Oh, okay, Chris. You only won last year because of the season ending like prematurely. Yeah. I I uh-huh. I felt good about my squad last year. I think I would have beat you in the playoffs. Uh-huh. Sure. Well, Lucas Lucas is the uh, league manager or um, commissioner, and people probably don't know that. And I have a formal complaint, Lucas. I have a as a another owner in the league. He keeps harassing me. He keeps trying to. Uh, Offering me weird and just oh, ridiculous trades. He does the same thing to me. I can't really Uh-oh. do anything about it. He, he does wants... the exact same thing to me. This guy, his name is Chris Klein. You might have heard of him. He keeps <laughs> I might have. he keeps off he keeps offering me garbage for Joel Embiid, MVP That's... candidate. He 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 wanted to give me Lucas. False. He wanted to give me Cat Carl Anthony Towns, who averages thirty nine fantasy points a game. He, he hasn't played a game this year. Who knows when he's coming back? Yeah, that's as true. If Joe doesn't miss games on a regular basis, but, but not Kat nearly as often as Cat this season. But well, go Kat on. Got sick. That he's going to come back soon, and then he's going to be healthy. Mm, 
Mm. And I, I don't know, man. If I if I was him, I would take my time coming Take back with this uh, Timberwolves squad. I'm convinced, did, Chris. Did he offer offer you Kemba Walker with that deal? Yeah, he did. He did. And I just Chris, shook my if head. Not, if you're not going to make that trade in real life, why do you, why why would you make that trade in fantasy? It's a totally fair fantasy trade. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I if I if I shared with you all the snapshots of the trades, oh, you oh, you would shake your head, Chris. <laughs> Hey, I am. I am at the top. I'm at the top I, I of the league. We hey, we are tied. We are tied. We are tied. But Here's... you're you're about to lose today. I'm gonna I'm win. I'm not gonna I'm lose today. Well, I'm up by like 300 points. Uh, I think I total more points than everyone in the league, but that's besides the point. All right, guys, let's get Who down. Who was to the only person to beat you? You're yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. Chris, Chris, Chris. Who Chris, Chris. you your we, one? We got to get into Sixers stuff. So, no, no, Chris, no. can you talk about the recent games for us, man? We'll get into it later. Spoiler. But okay. (laughs) We're going to talk about the Sixers, their their recent games. We're going to kind of work our way backwards and start with the Brooklyn game, which was last night, Saturday night. Maybe not the battle of superpowers that everyone expected it to be. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were absent for the Nets. But still a pretty compelling game nonetheless. The Sixers ended up winning 124 to 108. Lucas, what were your main your main thoughts, your main takeaways from that game? There's no way that the that the Brooklyn Nets are going to be able to guard you well and beat. Even let's say the best case scenario, and Chris, me and you talked about this after the podcast uh, last week, is that they Andre Drummond gets bought out and then they sign Andre Drummond to like mid-level exception, disabled player, whatever they sign him to. He's not going to be enough to stop Joel. Joel has owned him in the pain in the past. That's not going to change here. So no matter what they do, they're not going to be able to slow down Joel, which really it doesn't look like anybody's doing that this year. I mean, even Marcus Gasol had his problems when they played against the Lakers. Um, so I think the Sixers, you know, they, they have the defensive personnel to slow down the Nets decently not great but decently at least shut down at least not shut down but slow down significantly one of their stars with ben simmons and the sixers will punish the nets in the paint when they if assuming that they meet in the playoffs it's going to happen yeah i mean i think that's fair it really wasn't joe's best game even uh but he's still scored 33 which just speaks to how well he's been playing this year uh i think like you mentioned defensively when they switched Ben onto James Harden in the second half, that was a real turning point. That's kind of when Philly pulled away. Ben did a great job on Harden. We know that Ben is probably one of the best in the league, if not the best player for as far as guys you can just stick on elite perimeter creators. He's pretty far up on that list. But uh, you mentioned that you know Ben Simmons can only guard one person. Uh, they when the Nets are healthy, they're going to have Kyrie. They're going to have KD. It's going to be a lot harder to kind of keep that offense in check. When when those guys are back, Danny Green is a great off-ball defender, but he's showing time and time again that he's pretty vulnerable on the ball at this point in his career. You know, Tobias isn't a great defender. Joe on the perimeter trying to stick with KD wouldn't be that great. So there, there, there's going to be weak points that Brooklyn can exploit when they're healthy so well i'll I'll say this to piggyback off that yes we can only stop one person but i think we figured out which person that has to be it has to be james harden because kyrie irving's uh scoring point guard he doesn't i mean yeah he averages like six assists a game but 
he's not a playmaker. He he's not going to run the Nets offense. KD's more of an off guy ball person at this point, though he can create for himself and others. It's not his, especially with this team, he's going to be playing more off the ball. So James Harden is the guy that's going to be, you know, initiating the offense most of the time. He's going to be the one, you know, getting the team into rhythm, all that stuff. And that's what he's proven so far this year since the trade. You slow down James Harden, this this Nets offense, it's not, yeah, there's going to be times where Kyrie or KD go off, but it's not going to be a, James Harden is that guy that's going to get the other role players into the flow of the offense. And you can live with Kyrie or KD and, and or KD going off, but if you can slow down James Harden and, and, and by doing that, you slow down the role players because he's not going to be able to get them involved as much. I think that's a win. That's that that could be a winning formula for the Sixers. Yeah, I mean the Nets definitely aren't impervious. They're not indestructible, but at the same time, they're probably built better than any team ever as far as scoring out of rhythm. Like Irving, mm-hmm. Durant, and Harden are all three of the best like ISO scorers to ever walk the planet. If you slow down their rhythm, if you even shut down James Harden's playmaking they're still going to be able to dump it off to KD and Kyrie and just probably get buckets at a pretty fair pace. You know, they got some really solid off-ball guys who cut and move to open space really well. Joe Harris, Landry Shamet, etc. They aren't very deep, but they're 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 going to score a lot of points, and I don't think the Sixers are really going to have the personnel to shut them down in a meaningful way in the postseason especially. But as you mentioned, defensively, Brooklyn's pretty weak. The Sixers can obviously exploit that with Joel. I don't think Joel exploited it nearly enough um, last night. Like, he didn't attack DeAndre Jordan as much he as he could have. Didn't even attack Norvell Pell as often as he could have. Again, still 33 points, so a pretty solid outing <laughs> all around. He looked but... a little tired, didn't he? Like, he was he was playing at half speed. Yeah, I mean, it was a third game in four nights. He and played he... more than he really <laughs> needed to in that Portland yeah. game. So I understand it. So guys, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. The Sixers Sense Podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Now, Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Did you hear me? 2 million men worldwide. And today, we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. Check it out. 20% off, plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Again, the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So, if you're wondering what are some cool items that come in the package, no pun intended, the Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package, which comes with everything you need to keep trimmed, cut-free, and smelling nice down there. In addition, the trimmer comes with an LED light for a more precise shave and is waterproof to make your shower shave clean and easy. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-shafing deodorant and moisturizer. So what are you waiting for, guys? Stay trimmed and stay fresh for your wife or your significant other. Just use the code FANSIDED20 to get your 20% off and free shipping today. And now, back to the pod. We're going to move on to the Portland game now. That was uh, a loss, a pretty embarrassing loss, I would say. The Sixers did not have Ben Simmons for that game, but the other four starters were available. Uh, Seth Curry wasn't available in the second half, but 
didn't really seem to matter in that third quarter very much. Portland ran away with it after a pretty evenly fought first half. The Blazers were down about half their roster. No Damian Lillard, no C.J. McCollum, no use of Nurkic, and several other guys missing. It was basically the Gary Trent Jr. and Carmelo Anthony show, and that was apparently enough to beat Philly that night. What were your takeaways from that game, Lucas? That uh, I think people are going to start valuing Ben Simmons' defense now. I think that's it because you look at those two guys would have been the guys that Ben would have been guarding in that game. Primarily, probably Gary Trent once they realized that he was getting hot. But I, I mean, I think we we were so focused on Ben's offensive limitations that there's games like this that remind us how important he is to the team's overall defense, not just his individual defense, but because there's no way that 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 should have happened. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Gary Trent Jr. I think he's a good rotational player that can go off every once in a while, but this should not have happened tonight, that night. For sure. And I, I, on the other hand, I I do think it was, while not maybe Embiid's best game, uh, defensively on the glass, he got murdered by Cantor. He he wasn't very good on that side of the ball, but he scored 21 of their 25 points in the second quarter. He was pretty much the only reason Philly was in that game. It was a really lousy effort from pretty much everyone not named Joel. Uh, another really, I don't know if it would, I would say a solid mark in his, you know, MVP candidacy because they lost and he was on the floor. And that wasn't a good team to lose to, but I think it was a pretty good example of his value to the team and how more often than maybe we should be comfortable with, the offense is pretty much, you know, centered around him. And if other guys aren't hitting shots, if other guys are just, you know, dribbling into nowhere, we got like bubble version Tobias, it's going to be a pretty rough night, especially when Ben isn't there to kind of initiate the the offense. Uh, We missed him defensively as well, as you said. But all in all, I think bad losses happen. Uh, It's just the nature of a long NBA season. I don't think it's something I was going to read into too far. It's not something I'm panicking about. But I I do agree that it did in various ways show just how important Joe and Ben are. Hey, how about that that nasty spill that Embiid took with his knee? Oh, yeah. That, That, I saw that. It looked... It looked bad on TV when they showed the footage, and I was really shocked that he came back in. Um, but, yeah, I think every time that happens, every Sixers fan, they hold their breath because if he goes down, that the season's done. Yeah, I do want to make another point here that I forgot to touch on to begin with. Is uh, anybody questioning the reason why Forkon Corkman started over Tyrese Maxey? Like, I get that Maxey's no. still a developing player, but, like – you needed somebody to initiate the offense, uh, create, you know, be able to create on the perimeter. And this seemed like a prime, you know, let Maxi or even Shake Milton take over and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Shake was a minus 21 in the game, which I think is like the third worst of the Sixers. But um, scoring wise and assist wise, neither. I mean, they just needed more time. I thought this would have been a great game to have them both get a lot of playing time. And, I mean, Maxi had 21, Milton had 24, but yet again, it was uh, Batiste Thibault who had 26 minutes off the bench. Yeah, I'm generally okay with just loading up on shooters and letting Embiid kind of be the focus of the offense. Um, I mean, Maxi just hasn't been very good lately. Uh, he, he's kind of hit his rookie, role, rookie wall in a sense. I, 
Shake hasn't been that great either. He he's played better the last couple nights, but uh, yeah, had I mean, a good I, game I didn't that have game. a big problem with it. Max he had a good scored game, a right? bunch late once it was over, but he he wasn't really impactful when the game was close. Yeah, I guess you're right there, but I mean, I just I I feel like if we want Maxi to develop, you got to give him the minutes too, because Corkmaz, I think we're gonna get what we're gonna get out of him. Milton, I feel this. I, Milton might pop off for a big game every once in a while, but I just feel like we're not. I'm a little worried about Milton being able to be consistent, but. I get what yeah. you're saying. I just I like to have somebody that could actually, you know, have an inbounds uh, pass because Tobias Harris was a high assist man in the game for the Sixers with five assists. That should not be happening. I mean, Maxi has never been a huge assist guy, and in, in you know, in all fairness, and I I do think the the fact that he's such a, a shaky shooter. The fact that he's a pretty high-volume scorer who doesn't do much outside of that right now. I mean, I think there are reasons that Doc has been pretty hesitant to play him when the whole group is healthy. Like, obviously, that's a great style to have when there's only seven players available and no one else can dribble. But with the whole group together, Maxi's not the greatest fit. He doesn't play well off the ball, so it's tough to put him with Ben. And even with Joel, they don't work as well as maybe they, they will at some point. But I, I, I tend to agree that that the uh, maybe the Corkaz experiment didn't work as well as as it as Doc wanted it to. Fair enough. So I and, think we had one more game. Yeah, lastly, we are going to talk about the Charlotte game. Another Sixers win. Um, one eighteen to one eleven in that one. Lucas, what were your main takeaways there? Besides the fact that LaMelo Ball looks like he can be a legit talent if he can cut down on his mistakes, um, that's not from the Sixers side. I just like LaMelo Ball. Um, is that when engaged, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can have five turnovers each? No, I'm kidding. But, uh, that I mean, that was a negative from there. But the positive is that when that Seth Curry obviously came back not a hundred percent in that game, and he's still not a hundred percent. We saw that in the Portland game, and we see it. We definitely saw it in this Charlotte game. Um, the Hornets are going to be a problem in the future. Uh, I saw that too. Um, outside of that, I didn't really have too many takeaways. Um, Joel Embiid's dominant against like two backup centers and Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> Like there wasn't too many takeaways that I could take from it, to be honest. Besides the fact that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons need to cut down turnovers, um, not too much for me personally. Yeah, it was a pretty standard win. I think. I mean, the Sixers are are the better team, and when you're a good team, you have to beat the the bad teams. Charlotte's not necessarily bad, but I mean, Philly out thirty to thirteen in the first quarter, and it n- never really was in doubt past that point. Charlotte had some runs in the second half, but it was a pretty comfortable win for Philly. Like you said, the Hornets are a lot of fun to watch. Lamelo is a stud. I think Hayward has worked out better than most people would have expected him to so far. But the Sixers played their brand of basketball. Joel had thirty-four points, eleven rebounds. Ben had fifteen and nine assists. Twenty-six for Tobias. Just a really solid all-around effort from the core guys. Uh, another. Pretty decent Matisse game defensively. Shake had 13 in 19 minutes. So just just a lot of positives. A really solid all-around win. And 
probably the least notable in terms of just like projecting forward of these three games. I think I think the Nets game especially was interesting because of how they, they handled James Harden. But yeah, I, it was just a solid win all around. For sure. But you know, Chris, I think it's time for us to move on here. And we're going to go talk about the, the growing chemistry on this team in particular between Ben and Joel. So for those that don't aren't on Twitter or didn't see, Joel Embiid said, let's go. He tweeted out a couple of days or this past week, uh, let's go. And then he did the Simmons like heavy, like breathing emoji. He's like Ben Simmons for all-star. And then this is this uh, Twitter follower named Yami OG Kush said, stop. He's averaging 13 points per game. Even your other teammate, Tobias Harris deserves the spot more. And what Joel actually responded, this is what he had to say. Well, I guess you didn't watch the game yesterday. His value goes beyond stats. And Tobias has been dominating consistent all season long. And the team is the first in the East. So it sounds like Joel thinks that there should be three all-stars from the Sixers. But before we get into that, I just Chris, what are your thoughts about seeing him be defend Simmons publicly? Because we haven't really, I mean, in press conferences a little bit, but like this is a whole new level for Joel. What, what are your thoughts regarding their relationship after seeing this? Yeah, I mean, I I generally try not to read too far into tweets and stuff. They're they're generally not as important as people like to make them seem. But it it does seem pretty apparent that Joe and Ben have established better chemistry this season. There was an interview earlier on around the time of the Harden trade where Ramona Shelburne had talked to Embiid and Embiid mentioned just how much more comfortable he was playing with Ben this season. And they were working better together, figuring out, you know, their spot floor. Embiid has mentioned that in press conferences as well, just getting to know Ben better and vice versa and, and kind of maximizing their talents. So I definitely think that there's there's something there. There's some meaning to it. And it's it's always good to see guys, you know, stand behind their teammates publicly. You know, it, it, all-star voting is, is normally a pretty fun time on Twitter. And while I, I might not agree that the Sixers deserve three all-stars, I, I, I do appreciate Joe, um, you know, coming to, the, coming to defend his guys. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it shows there's definitely some level of camaraderie that has been grown since the departure of Brett Brown. And I don't think that Brett Brown ever purposely meant there not to be camaraderie between the two, but Doc Rivers uh, definitely had, I think he, and just the, you know, overall maturity that Joel has been showing this year, maybe it's partially because he's a father now. Maybe it's just because he really wants that MVP trophy, you know, championship defensive player of the year. He wants a lot, but you know what? He's saying the right things. He's doing the right things. He's, Showing that he can be a good teammate, he's not trying to throw Ben underneath the bus. Though I, I'll be honest, I feel like a lot, a couple times last year during press conferences when they were talking about spacing, you know, I thought that Joel was low key doing it. But this year, it's nice to see that that he's really trying to be not only a good, you know, teammate to Ben, but being a leader of the team because this is the type of thing that leaders do. Granted, not usually social media, but you know, that's just Ben Joel for you. So. Hey Lucas, can can I jump in? And I know the I think the initial tweet that Chris was a little dismissive about um, regarding Joel coming out saying uh, Ben should be an All Star. I Mm -hmm. I get that. You know, maybe that's kind of neither here nor there, and he didn't have to do it, but he did it. Maybe it doesn't mean much. 
But I think by him responding on social media to a random stranger, I mean, athletes do it, whether it's Paul George or LeBron James or anybody who goes on Instagram or Twitter and those that are rent. Yeah, KD. Well, <laughs> I've KD actually is... had two NBA players respond to me before. Oh, yeah. Uh, Isaiah Thomas. I... Yeah, IT. No, well, actually three. I forgot about him. So back when I was the site expert of the Valley of the Suns, the Phoenix Suns webpage for fan sided, I had interactions with both Dragon Bender and Jared Dudley. And actually, Jared Dudley <laughs> liked my idea for NBA expansion. So Jared that was a win for me. Never mention that again. <laughs> <laughs> Never mention that again. I'll give you Bender. I'll give you Jared. This is back when he was on the Suns, not on the Nets. This is before he got to the Nets. I Chris, promise. do you agree with me? Should he? Should I? Should I edit that, Chris? That he? Yeah. He yeah. I <laughs> mean, I don't know if that's something. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys are no, no, no. But seriously though, I, it's it's fun when NBA players respond to fans, and it shows that they have a level of care that, that they care. And I think that was cool, but go on your eyes. You were saying, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that was a fun little tidbit. That no, that was, that was, that was it. My point was just, I think for him to come out and respond to a random stranger, it, he didn't have to do that. And he probably knew there was going to be all types of attention on it. But the one thing I did want to mention is that his tweet, I think it mirrors a quote that doc Rivers said when doc rivers last week was asked about, Ben Simmons and his play. And Doc came out and said that Ben Simmons' value goes beyond the stats. And I found it very interesting that Embiid took those same words and put it in his own tweet. So that tells me there is a connection between him and Doc that mm-hmm. uh, may not have been there with, with Brett Brown. I think Doc Rivers is having a really big impact on Embiid this year. And, and your other point was to make sure that I never mentioned talking to Jared, Jared Dudley on Twitter again, right? Yeah, never ever <laughs> mention that. <laughs> oh gosh, I tried to get treat. I, I will say, huh? Go ahead. I I won't just say to Uriah's point. I I do think Joe kind of know how's knows how to play to the audience on on Twitter and on social media. So I definitely think he's aware of how things will be perceived. And again, going back to that Shelburne piece, I mean, I think it was pretty notable. Like the takeaway was that. Joe was pretty relieved when Ben didn't get traded for James Harden. And I'm not going to speculate as to whether that would have been the case last season, but I, I do think it's pretty remarkable how comfortable they seem together this year. And I definitely do think that relationship has improved quite a bit. I think, I think there's also clear number, who's the number one person in the franchise. Now I think in years past, that wasn't necessarily clear Is it Ben's team is it Joel's team. Now we know for a fact it's Joel's team. And I, I think that's helped their power dynamic, like their relationship and the power dynamic in in their relationship as well, to piggyback off what you just said. So I guess the other part of this is, do you think this this strengthening of their relationship, Chris, do you think this, this gives them a real chance to um, for a championship run? I, I, I guess. I mean, I do think the Sixers have a, a puncher's chance at winning it this year. I wouldn't say... Their favorites. I wouldn't say that Ben Simmons has inspired more confidence in him this season than in past seasons. But I mean, the Sixers are a good team. They're the number one seed right now. I don't know if that'll hold up. We'll see. There's still a lot of basketball left to be played. But I do think the chemistry with this team is much better than last season's. 
as you mentioned, Joel has kind of settled into his role as as the undisputed number one option in a way that maybe wasn't as clear in, in years past. And yeah, I mean, there, there aren't any indestructible teams right now. There's no, you know, peak Golden State in the league. The Lakers are beatable. The Nets are beatable. The Bucks are beatable. That doesn't mean Philly's fi- a favorite, but it, it means they have a chance. Yeah, I think that they, they, they're still a player away, like a perimeter creator away from really being that contender. But I, I think they have a puncher's chance right now, for sure. And uh, certainly it's good to see the chemistry build. And, you know, like I said, I think that goes to, you know, organizationally what direction the team's going. And it's clearly Joel's team. And I think that's something that they always struggled with with under Brown in the past. And uh, I think that now that we have that cleared up, that I think the team's in a, going in the right direction. I think that that gives the team a much clearer picture of where they stand in title contention, which is like, they're not in the top tier, but they're in the tier right below it. Like I said, I think they're a shot creator away uh, from from entering that top sphere. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. And we're going to move on now and talk about all-star voting. We'll start with Embiid. He's third in front court votes uh, in the East behind Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kevin Durant, who is number one. He's the lead vote-getter in the East right now. You got... Just shy of 1.6 million votes. Uh, obviously, fan voting only impacts the starting lineup. It doesn't doesn't impact the reserves. But what are your thoughts there, Lucas? Doesn't Bede deserve to be higher? And just what were your main takeaways from that? This season, I mean, maybe he should be second. But I mean, you could make a fair case for Kevin Durant being MVP. Giannis is kind of plateaued, which is still like an MVP caliber player, but we're used to what Giannis can do and what he can't do. Joel is obviously playing at a whole different level this year. Um, but when you look at it, I think KD's deserving of the number one spot. I, 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 he has so much cachet with his name too. We, we don't remember that. What is Joel in like his fifth season playing? Yeah. Like his fifth season playing. So He's seven seasons total, but the first two he didn't play in. So, yeah, he's in his sixth season, the fifth season playing. So, he, I mean, granted, he's a very accomplished player for that time, but Kevin Durant's a MVP winner, a finals cha- NBA champion, one of the most elite scores. It's, it's not surprising. It's not. So, and Giannis, he's two-time MVP He's a little bit more popular. Plus, Giannis has that international vote, which, I mean, Joel is international too, but Giannis is just on a whole different type of level in terms of popularity there. So it's not surprising. I think number third is number three is right for him. And this is just the fan vote. This isn't a, where they actually stand as players. Because I would, I would contend right now that Joel Embiid is the best big man in the East. Um, or at least between him and Giannis, because I would say Giannis is a four and, you know, Joel's a five. And I think Joel's playing better than Giannis this season, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much my feeling towards it. Embiid is going to start. There's really no question about that. I think he's been the best player in the East so far. But, again, it's it's fan voting. It, it, it's not terribly important who is the quote-unquote captain. It, it doesn't really carry much weight uh, outside of the 
30 seconds that the draft is on television. So it's not something I'm really concerned about. He's going to make the all-star team deservedly. So uh, they're, they're going to apparently hold a game. We'll see if he actually decides to play in that. But yeah, I, I, I think it, it it's a pretty fair number. I wonder, I, I wonder if Embiid has a, something like a, you know, chip on his shoulder, especially when it comes to uh, the Joker out West. I know they're in different conferences, but if you notice Embiid, I mean, he's been playing lights out all year, but last night when they were playing the Nets, he came into that game and, and he picked up where he left off against Portland. But earlier that day, uh, Djokovic, um, or Jokic, sorry, Jokic put up, I think, 50 52 points, 11 rebounds, and like eight, no, 11 uh, 11 assists, eight rebounds, I want to say off the top of my head. I wouldn't be surprised if Embiid looked at the box score of that game and said, uh uh, this dude, because he knows that he's his biggest competition. I mean, other than LeBron, I think uh, Jokic definitely might have a slight edge over Embiid for, for MVP, of course. Uh, he had 50 points, 12 assists, eight rebounds, one steal, three blocks, went uh, 20 of 33 from the field, including three of six from the three-point line and seven of seven from the foul line. Yeah. One I, mean, I, know, I know we're a Sixers podcast, but, uh, you know, Jokic is pretty freaking good. So um, yeah. I don't think there's really a wrong way to go as far as MVP at this point. As long as it's one of those two big men, because like, yes, LeBron's having a great season at what is it, thirty six to thirty seven, yeah. Um, and Kevin Durant sh- should get comeback player of the year. Uh, he's shooting what, like fifty percent from the field and forty five percent from downtown, uh, downtown, something like that. It's ridiculous. Uh, while averaging like around thirty points per game, but you know, at the end of the day, um. I think you can say that what these two big men are doing is much more rare in the NBA versus what you see. And like I said, Durant's probably going to get comeback player of the year. That's not, I'm not worried about that. LeBron, it's unfair to him, but he's probably not going to get another MVP just because, you know, narrative, which, I mean, he does have some narrative working for him because of his age, but the last time we had a center win MVP was uh, 2000 with Shaq. And I think it's fair to say that this season is proving to be the year of the center again. So I think one of these guys is going to get it. Uh, my preference would be Joel, though I wouldn't be surprised if it was Jokic. Yeah, I mean, Jokic, Jokic is a bit weird because I don't feel like he has the the respect maybe that Embiid and others have, you know, with the general fan base. I think he's kind of underrated in that realm. But I would agree that Joe and Jokic are my top two. I, I've seen a lot of MVP ladders, though, with LeBron at number one. He does play for the Lakers. So I, I wouldn't count out them going in a different direction. And obviously there are like 60 games left on the schedule, 50 games. Mm-hmm. A lot of this will probably change by the time they actually vote. But I, I tend to agree. I will say this: that what Joel does have going for him is that he's the best player on the top team in the East. Yep, for sure. But again, that that could also change. Uh, Milwaukee's yeah. pretty close behind. So is Brooklyn. Yeah, so game and a, a half left to be played. For sure. Um, and we're going to move on and talk about Ben Simmons now. He has the tenth most votes among guards in the Eastern Conference. 
just a hair shy of 118,000. A significantly lower number than Embiid, and maybe a bit lower in the guard category than is maybe deserving. What were your takeaways from that, Lucas? Ben's having a down year. Voters realize that. Voters care about counting stats, and his scoring is his counting stats, so they're not going to give him the same amount of love, though honestly, this year, I feel like he's probably just as deserving as last year in terms of being a, he should, he has an argument, maybe, okay, probably not this year because of Kyrie and James Harden, but if they weren't, in, if, if Harden wasn't traded to the, uh, you know, if Harden was still on the uh, Rockets, then would have a legit case for starting. I think him or Jalen Brown maybe uh, for that second guard position. Um, and it's not to do, the All-Star game always awards at least one player who's like so elite defensively. You saw Ben Wallace get it. You saw Joakim Noah get it. I'm sure I, I'm missing some, you know, Dennis Rodman, you go throwback there, uh, Mikembe Mutombo. But, uh, big men like that, uh, defensive anchors like that, have always gotten love in the All-Star game. And, and Ben Simmons is that guy right now. He's the defensive guy that's going to get Draymond Green, you know. They're not going to wow you with their counting stats, but everything that they do, like uh, Doc and Joel said, what he does goes beyond the box score. So yeah, I think that's where Ben stands right now. And I think fans aren't going to give him love, but I know the coaches will. And I think at the end of the day, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been on the record with, uh, I don't think Ben has been an all-star this year. I think he's picked it up lately and he's been playing more of he's been of that caliber in the, the last couple of weeks but for a very long stretch there at the beginning it was it's pretty rough offensively he's still scoring at a career low rate he's shooting at a career low percentage from the field I I think Tobias and Joe are the two most deserving players on the Sixers roster right now. There aren't a ton of spots in the East. As you mentioned, it's a pretty deep loaded list. Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Brad Beal, Trey Young, Malcolm Brogdon, all those guys are guards. All of those guys deserve pretty significant consideration. I would say that all of them might have a better case than Ben. So it's it's tough. I, I I don't share your confidence that the coaches are going to vote him in. But but we'll see. And moving on to Tobias, he, again, as, as I said, I think he's the second most deserving player on this roster, but he did not crack the top 10 in terms of frontcourt votes. Lucas, do you think that was a snub? Do you think that was, you know, deserved that he's going to be locked out at his position? What, what were your thoughts on that? Well, we talked about this last week, Chris. I I gave a, I thought a pretty compelling argument about how Tobias Harris could become an All Star, especially in the East. Um, I think that there it's a you know he it would have to be it would have to be through the coaches though, not through the votes because fans aren't going to give him love. Um, he's not going to be a starter. He's not, uh, and. You know, we'll have to wait and see. I think he could get snubbed, and I don't think that would be fair, but I think Harris getting snubbed is a complete possibility. Mm-hmm. But let yeah. me ask you this, Chris. Oh, let, let me oh. let me ask you this. 
if Harris does, let's just say for argument's sake, Harris does get an all-star bid. How does that contract? How does his contract look after that? You st- you still think so? You don't think that 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 would yeah, help I mean, redeem it a little bit? He's being paid like a, you know, like a max contract. I, I, I get that. I'm just getting that. But would an all-star, you know, title to his name help make that contract a little bit more like bearable in your opinion? Uh, I mean, bearable in the sense that he's been good and a positive contributor this season, but there are, are still better ways to use $36 million. Um, I don't think I, one all-star berth would change that. What if he got all-star berths for the next, for the remainder of the contract? I I would highly doubt that happens, but if it did, we can maybe, you know, relitigate the situation then, but I, I, you know, I think we're still pretty. Uh, I don't see Tobias taking that kind of leap. Well, what about you, Ryan? How would you feel if he got an All Star bid this year? How would that make you feel about his contract? Well, first of all, I have to say that uh, Tobias Harris is a player that Chris wanted. He wanted to take from me. He offered me a trade, and I said, "No way." Keeping <laughs> Tobias, I don't care about his contract. Doesn't translate to fantasy basketball. Probably one of my most consistent players all year on my on my roster, but I I think I agree with uh, what you guys are saying. He's he's not going to get the love from the fans. He just doesn't have that highlight reel. He doesn't do anything exceptionally well that distinguishes him. Whether it's supreme athleticism or just being a sniper like a Curry or or Damian Lillard. Uh, but I do think the coaches might give him a nod because he's a veteran. He's paid his dues. He's been around, and he's been nothing but an upstanding citizen player his entire career. So I think the coaches might give him a shot. Okay. Yeah, and we'll we'll shoot through the last couple of points here. Uh, we we pretty much covered this on the last week's podcast, but just to to make sure we're, we're on the same page. Uh, Lucas, you, you believe that Embiid and Simmons are the two who deserve all-stars from Philly. You think those are the two who, who deserve a spot? I think all three of them deserve a spot, but I think it's going to be Joel and Simmons, yes. I think they're going to be the ones that get it. But I believe all three of them deserve it. I just think Ben's name has a little bit more cachet with the coaches. And like I said previously, coaches love guys that don't, there's always that one guy in the all-star game that gets in there because of what, what he does outside the numbers. And you know, that that's been Draymond green most recently, but now I think it's going to be Ben this year. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I kind of disagree. I, I would pick him beating Harris if I were drafting my team personally, but uh, well, yeah. we'll, we'll see. I, I mean, I just think the guard depth, is too deep in the East this season. Ben really wasn't good on offense for a considerable stretch there. Like he was almost an active negative for a, a large portion of the season. And I think it's going to be tough for him to overcome, but he, he is a pretty brilliant defender. And I do agree that there's a case to be made. So I, I, I don't think we're as far apart maybe as that would make it sound, but yeah, we know that Joel Embiid's going to be an all-star. That's the only thing we know for certain. And that's okay. <laughs> But I want to move on. Speaking of, you know, we talked about three of the five starters. Let's talk about the five starting, the starting five here. Chris, did you know that um, that when six the Sixers have their complete starting five, they are undefeated this season? I did. And, and did you? So, with that in mind, how important is that moving forward, especially when we get to like the postseason? 
mean, it's it's important in the sense that again, Philly's the number one seed. When you you win thirteen games with a group in a row, that that speaks to the the prowess of that group, and I think that's a pretty considerable sample size. I wouldn't read as far into it again to, as to say that the Sixers are favorites or that they're you know not vulnerable. That they don't have some pretty serious weaknesses, and that they should absolutely be willing to tweak that starting five at the trade deadline if the right moves are available. Mm-hmm. But Daryl Morey came in; he made a conscious effort to build this roster around Embiid and to a lesser degree around Simmons. That was not what the past regime had done. That's not what Elton Brand's vision of the roster was last season when Horford and Richardson were brought on. That team was built more to survive when Embiid was off the floor rather than maximize his time on it, which I think was a pretty critical error in terms of logic. And they fixed that, and Embiid's playing the best basketball of his career. Some of that's Doc, some of that's Embiid, and some of that's roster construction. It's just a confluence of different things that have kind of come together at the right time. And I, I do think it's pretty significant because it just points to how how good the Sixers team is going to be in the regular season. And if they can keep this up, they're going to put themselves in as good a position as possible to to have home court advantage in the playoffs and to hopefully win some some postseason games. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to. Yeah. It, yeah. You hit all the notes I really wanted to touch on. I will just add in. Got to make sure Seth Curry's back healthy. I mean, he looked better this past game. But overall, you know, if he's going and he's averaging, let's just say around 15 points per game, that starting five is going to be pretty hard to beat. You know, he's hitting like three or four three pointers a game. Like, you know, he's, I think Seth Curry is that X factor in the starting five because if he's going, it's going to be hard to, you know, and we see how much he's missed with this Dallas Mavericks. They're abysmal this year right now. And I think a large part of it is the fact that Seth Curry isn't spacing the floor for Doncic like he was last year. And who would have thought like well, three or four years ago we would have been saying that, that about Seth Curry? I, I don't think Curry is the reason they're that bad. I think that might be stretching it a, a bit. Well, okay. well, okay. He's not the he's not the only reason. I'm not saying that, but he missing him is a big part. Close to the main reason. Like, I don't, well, okay. I don't what, what is your main reason? What, what, okay, so let's let's. Put this. Let's let's debate this for a second. What is your main reason why they're struggling then? I mean, I I I I won't claim to have watched every Mavericks game this season, but I, I haven't either. Has generally, been pretty good when he's been on the floor. He missed a, a long stretch due to COVID. The the big not hitting his three pointers up to the level. Yeah, but they have other shooters on the roster. I mean, Porzingis can shoot. You know, Hardaway shoots at a pretty high volume. I, I don't think they're they're lacking in the spacing department. Richardson is a pretty big defensive upgrade, and that's really where they were struggling last season, especially on the perimeter. I I really think part of it is that Porzingis missed time, and now that he's back, Porzingis hasn't quite looked himself. They've dealt with injuries. They've dealt with COVID. Uh, I would expect them to get better. I mean, Luca's playing like an MVP, and if the Mavericks record gets better, he's going to be in that conversation. So I, I, I think this has just been a weird season overall. We've seen it with Toronto, where they're much better than their record would suggest. The same with Miami, I think. Uh, it, there's a lot of factors, you know, impeding team success this season that just are not around during normal times when there's not a pandemic. 
So I'm I'm not reading too heavily into the win losses for Dallas right now. If they're if we're two thirds of the way into the season and they're still the like 14th seed, then maybe we can we can talk about it. But I I don't think the Curry loss has been like a big you know like an anchor to their success or anything. Yeah, I I'm I'm just gonna disagree with you there because I mean like. The rest of those guys, Tim Hardaway Jr., he's hot cold. Josh Richardson's not been good this year. Like you said, they've been missing guys like Maxi Kleba and Porzingis, but like uh, guys uh, like Dorian Finney-Smith has seen a downtick in their three-point percentage. Like it's just the floor has shrunk for them this year. But you know, I think part of it is that the Porzingis isn't playing center. But I don't know. I feel like Seth Curry's more missed than what what they would have thought. And Tyrell Terry's not ready to play yet. So, you know, that's the price they pay, I guess. Um, but we're not a Dallas Mavericks. You know, we're not the Smoking Cuban podcast. We are the Sixers Sense podcast. So um, let's swing back to the Sixers here. Um, so, Chris, the next three games that the Sixers have, their next three games are against the Sacramento Kings, who are 500 right now. Portland Trail Blazers, who are without Damien. Well, we just played against them, so, you know, we know what to expect there. Or at least, you know, they're going to come out fighting. And then there's this Phoenix Suns, who are a pretty good team. Those next three games, how do you th- – how will that test the Sixers and how, where they measure in, this, in the East standings after that three games? There's, actually, I'm going to count five games because you got Utah and Houston afterwards. Uh, Houston is the, the the last game, and that's their first home game back after this uh, four-game road stretch. So what what are your thoughts on that, Chris? Do you think it's going to really define where they are in the Eastern Conference standings? Um, I mean, Portland and, and Phoenix are, are good teams. I think the Suns have the personnel to give Philly some trouble with their perimeter talent, mainly with Booker and... Chris Paul, they spaced the floor. Uh, Aiton, Aiton's not going to handle and beat or anything, but I think that'll be a pretty interesting matchup. But I, I, I definitely think the one I'm looking forward to most is the Jazz game. You know, Utah has mm-hmm. the best record in basketball right now. They've been really good. Um, that's a group that's been around for a while. There's a lot of continuity there. They're, the offense flows quite nicely, and they're, they're obviously a very good defensive team anchored by someone in Gobert who has the tools, the physical tools to possibly bother Embiid. We'll see how that matchup plays out when it gets here. But I I definitely think this this road trip, as most road trips do, will will test the resilience of the team to to some degree because it's it's just tough to go on a on a four game road trip and maintain energy over that span. Like you like you said, the Jazz game is the fourth game on, on that road trip, so we'll see. If they come into that game with the energy needed to beat a really good team, but yeah. yeah. So the Jazz game was initially mine, but then I re- remembered something, Chris. Since the James Harden trade, you know the Houston Rockets have been the first in de- defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. You gotta look at that matchup. Yeah, they don't have Christian Wood right now. I think he's out with an ankle injury, but DeMarcus Cousins is starting to look like Boogie. Uh, he's showing flashes of the old Boogie Cousins that we used to know. John Wall, Victor Oladipo are surprisingly making a very dangerous backcourt, especially defensively. And 
Eric Blutz, uh, Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker are playing like solid NBA vets. They, they're, they're a fun team to watch. That's the game I'm looking for, to be honest. Like, yeah, the Utah Jazz game, they're, they're the top team in the West. They're very good. Donovan Mitchell is playing at a career rate. Mike Conley is doing Mike Conley things. They're, you know, duo of big man and Bogdanovich, the forwards and Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles are still elite. Royce O'Neal is a good defender. Rudy Gobert, you already said everything you need to about that guy. And that's a good matchup, but I'm really curious to see how they do against the literally the best defensive teams in the league right now in the Rockets and how they handle a backcourt uh, as dynamic because Mike Conley is good, but he's not on the same level as John Wall and Victor Oladipo were. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's better than both of those guys, but I wouldn't say Mike Conley's better than either one of those guys. Those guys are kind of like, well, I don't know. I, I mean, Conley's having a, a pretty good year. He's maybe not as dynamic on the ball as, as Wall mm-hmm. and Oladipo are in terms of speed. Mm-hmm. But Conley's been really good this year, and I think he's... Oh, I know. I'm not just, just sure. crediting that. Yeah, no, he's still he's still the, the quote-unquote best player that never make an all-star game. Remember when that used to be Monte Ellis? Oh, that mm-hmm. was fun. Mm-hmm. Uriah, you remember that? Yeah, I remember Monte. Mr. Mr. Offense, no defense. Yeah, he they didn't they compare him to Allen Iverson at one point, and I'm just like, that's not quite his game because he's yeah. willing to, because he he could shoot a little bit better outside from than AI, but like, nah, he didn't have the same interior grit. He was more of a mid range assassin. Um, but no, uh, yeah, no, Mike Conley is still one of the best players to never make an All Star game. I don't see that happening this year because the Jazz are only going to get two All Stars if that, and it's going to be. Gobert. Actually, the Jazz and the Sixers are in the exact same boat, if you want to think about it like that, because they have three players worthy of all-star births, but probably only two of them are going to make it. Yeah, It's the guys that didn't haven't made an all-star game, in my opinion, that won't make it. So, you know. But yeah, no, I like the, the Rockets matchup. I'm really excited about that. Uriah, you want to put your two cents in here? Uh, no, I, I'm, uh, want to get ready for the game. So let, let's get to the question of the week. Oh yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. The social media question of the week, you're right. You want to take it away? Yeah. So the social media question of the week is about the 76ers lock in all-star MVP candidate, Joel Embiid. And the question was this, what has made Joel Embiid play like an MVP this season? If we go to Twitter, we had a uh, Twitter follower, Balut, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but at Balut76, and he just let a photograph do all his talking for his response. He found a picture of Embiid holding his newborn son in his hands. Very tender moment, and that got the most likes on, on Twitter. So um, so that was one uh, aspect of why Embiid could be playing at the level he's playing. If we transition to Facebook, I'll just read a thread uh, several people and a nice variety. We have Thomas McManus. He said less on the perimeter. Rich Kreigel said conditioning. Lewis K said he has majored. I don't know what that means. Uh, Kenny Gregg says, I think both being a father and having a new coach and he's just a beast. Walt Lee Simple III said Doc Rivers. This is my favorite. Brian Gibson said that first round in the bubble he don't want to go out like that anymore. So what do you think, Chris? What what has him be playing at this 
elevated level? Um, I mean, I think pretty much everyone that you mentioned made good points. I think it's a number of of factors that have you know contributed to his success. I I don't think we should underrate the fact that he has a newborn son and that he has spoken about that being a pretty big motivating factor for him. We've seen it with guys in the past, Victor Oladipo, Fred Van Vliet, who have who have cited their sons as motivating factors. Like I, I think that's a real thing. And then on the basketball court, you know, I, I do think Doc Rivers has put him in, in maybe better spots than Brett Brown used to. I think the fact that the roster makes sense in a way that the past couple of years it, it has not is, is important. I think more shooting generally leads to better protection from Joel. And and I think like lastly, he's just committed himself in in a new in a new way. He even beyond conditioning, he just seems to have gotten to polished to polish to have bleh, to have polished off his game in a way that that it, it hasn't been polished before. He's handling double teams much better than he has in the past. His jump shot is falling at a more efficient rate than it ever has. He has that mid range pull-up jumper like down pat to, at a ridiculous level right now and I, I i just think it's all of those things kind of coming together and and putting him on the mvp radar so you mentioned it at the very end chris and while all those other things are absolutely true doc rivers gets the best out of his centers we know that in the past kendrick perkins and deandre jordan had the best stint of their career under doc rivers uh, same thing with Montrez Harrell. Um, he knows how the, he's a big man whisperer for sure. So that's a big part of it. You know, his son's definitely a big part of it. Playoff loss surely has an impact on it. You you could say all these things. But, Chris, what you said at the end about that mid-range jumper, we saw a lot of that during his rookie year. But then it kind of disappeared for a while because everybody wants Joel either to take threes or, you know, get his butt in the paint, as Steve A. Smith would like to say. Um but that mid-range shot is such a big part of his game, and I think he really developed that during the two years that he missed to begin his his career. And I think Doc Rivers allowing him to reincorporate that back into his game has been tremendous for him because Doc is letting him play his offensive game, and that mid-range shot is definitely a big part of that. But I think on that note, uh, well, hold up, Uri, did you want to add anything before we uh, wrap it up? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't mind throwing my two cents in. All the all the people on social media had great points, like Chris said, and I agree with what you guys said. I want to lend a little bit more weight outside of the fact of being a father motivates him to be his his best version of himself. I'd say right after that has to be Doc Rivers. And if you look at the experience that Doc has had being a champion with Boston and just being an all-class type of guy, no-nonsense type of guy, I think this group, particularly Ben and Joe, I think what they lacked with Brown in the past was accountability. I think Doc Rivers brings that. I think these guys wanted to be guided. I think they they felt the need to be guided in a way that could get them to the next level. And, and I don't think you can underestimate the effect of, of a coach on, on a group of men who are trying to achieve something. So, so that's my two cents. I think that's a very good two cents. And on that note, um, Chris, you want to play us out? Um, first, I think we should all make Super Bowl predictions. We're recording this Ooh, at 5.12 p.m. on Sunday 
evening. Who do we got? Uh, I'll go first. Um, my mom lived in Tampa Bay for a little bit, so even though I don't like Brady, I'll, I'll go for the Bucks. Even though I have a gut feeling it's going to be the um, Chiefs, I, I'm going to cheer for the Bucks here. I am cheering for no one. I just want it to be a good game. The complete opposite of the Rams Patriots Super Bowl two years ago. Anything but that drek on the field. Uh, I, I do think that Kansas City is going to give Tampa Bay uh, a run for their money. I, I think I think Tampa Bay is they're, they're going to. I mean, it's Brady, right? He's going to rise to the occasion, mm-hmm. but they have too many weapons in Kansas City. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I I I don't really have a. a, a favorite team here necessarily but i will say i i feel like i'm kind of going to be pulling for tampa bay which is weird because i've i've always been kind of against brady and the patriots you know they've always been the the easy guys to cheer against but uh it's kind of remarkable that he's actually gotten here with tampa bay i didn't think it would happen um and you know mahomes and the chiefs are kind of going in that direction where they're going to be around in this conversation pretty much every year for a long time you know barring injury so Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting matchup between kind of, you know, maybe the goat and the guy who's going to come for his throne over the next mm-hmm. couple of decades. And my pick is going to be the Chiefs. I think they're going to win, but I'll probably be pulling for Tampa Bay. And it wouldn't surprise me if Tom, you know, pulled one more rabbit out of his hat, per se. So, uh, but I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pick the Chiefs mm-hmm. as well. So I think we're all saying the Chiefs, but we're hoping for Tampa. Is that is that what we're saying? Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Chris, you want to play us out now? All right. Uh, thanks again to all our wonderful listeners for tuning in to another week's episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. As always, we, we really do genuinely appreciate you giving us the time of week, especially during these trying times with the pandemic and everything else going on. It means the world to us that you would, you know, just carve out the time of day to, to talk sections with us. And if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, uh, please leave us a review. Give us a rating if you feel so inclined. It would really help us out. And we will be back soon with another episode, some more fresh content, and we look forward to it. So thanks, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.